text is going to be on, on the screen as well. And I uh, just want to welcome those who are joining us online this morning on YouTube or Facebook. Great to have you with us too. And uh, yeah, hey, we had a sweet week. Just to give you a little bit of an update, we had um, our week of prayer. We were here uh, each night until um, Friday, just spending an hour in prayer and some worship and some time in the Word of God. And man, it was an encouraging week. I don't know. Lots of times we come out of them, I'm like, I think that was the best one ever. I don't, every time. So that's pretty good. But it, it really was a sweet week and a, and a good time. So uh, we got prayer tonight, 7 o'clock, uh, here for prayer. Of course, the ladies are meeting. They move their time on Monday mornings to 6 a.m. So you can join them via Zoom for prayer time. You can speak to Shona or Julie about that. The guys are here at the church Tuesday mornings at 7. And then, uh, Greg, what's happening, man? I'll put you on the spot there this week. Sorry, I didn't give you the warning. Oh, you were ready. Okay, you are ready. He knew it was coming. Okay, scavenger hunt. Okay, you're meeting here? 7 o'clock, okay, the youth on Friday night. And um, yeah, and then we're gearing up for lots of stuff uh, towards uh, the end of the month here. We'll get our Wednesday night back up and rolling, walk through the Bible, and uh, some home group stuff coming, some ladies ministry stuff uh, coming down the pipe here, and we'll get that info to you soon. Okay, sweet. You got your Bibles? Let's go to Joshua chapter 24, and we've come to the final chapter of this book. So let's pray and uh, give this time to the Lord, and then we'll dive in here. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Thank you for your people. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we confess again that we love the written word because the written word leads us to the living word, King Jesus. And Jesus, it's our desire that you'd have our hearts today, Lord. I pray, God, that as we spend time in your word, your word is a sword that divides flesh and spirit. We pray, God, that your word would root around in our hearts and bring out the works of the flesh. Remove them, Lord. Make us wholeheartedly uh, to serve you, we would pray this morning, Lord. Just even as we spend this time here, God, that you just turn our hearts closer to you. And so, Jesus, we give you this time this morning. We pray, Lord, uh, that your blessing would be upon the teaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So sweet, yeah, the final chapter of Joshua. I was thinking... It's been interesting. It just felt like when we dove into Joshua that it was very timely for all the things that have been going on in the world and where we were at as a church. It's an amazing book about God's people entering into their inheritance, entering into the land that God had promised them. But it's not just a picture of them entering into the land. It's a spiritual picture of followers of Jesus entering into the life of promise, entering into... um, the spirit-led life, and we've seen this, we've watched Israel conquer the land and defeat these seven nations that were there and and receive their inheritance in the Lord, and then we've watched them split up the land for all the different tribes and families, and, and they've got all that the Lord had for them. And you come to the last two chapters of this book of Joshua, and what happens is this, is we, we saw last week that Joshua gives two speeches right at the end. And so we looked at the first one last week. It was a speech to the leaders of Israel, the heads of the clans, the priests, the tribal leaders. And he gets them all together and he instructs them on um, continuing to serve the Lord as he gets ready to go the way of all the earth. He's an old man. And, And then after that, here in this final chapter, now Joshua pulls together not just the tribal leaders and clan leaders and priests and elders and all these guys, 
But now he pulls together all of the tribes, all of the peoples of Israel to give a final uh, speech. And so let's read it. Let's check it out. Verse 1. It says this. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Now, it's not Joshua they present themselves before. Joshua called them together to hear the instruction of the Lord as he gets ready to depart. And so they gather and they come to this place called Shechem. It's a significant place. It's like another one of these significant places in the history of God's people because Shechem is the very spot that Jacob bought off the Canaanites hundreds of years beforehand. And so this is significant that after hundreds of years in the land of Egypt and waiting all of this time to come into the promised land, they're there, they're established, they've made their homes there, they've got their inheritance, and Joshua brings them to this place that was uh, just important because it represented God fulfilling his promises to his people. Like at hundreds of years before, I told Abraham he would receive this land and Jacob got a portion of it and now here you are. And Joshua begins this message by saying to them, thus says, we're going to see this in a moment, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now, that's important because Joshua might be the one delivering the message, like I said already, but this is actually a message from God. What he is about to speak, his final words, it was a word from the Lord. And the theme of this message is going to be serving God faithfully and living for God. It's a call that he is going to give the nation to turn away from the idols that are around them, to turn away from the idols that the Canaanites served, to turn away from the idols that, that it still left their remnant and their mark on their lives from the land of Egypt. And it's a great, it's a great uh, well, actually, how he begins is this, is he begins with retelling the history of God's people. And I like it. It's a, it's a really cool retelling of it. So let's, let's go to verse 2, and we'll read right through to 13. It says this, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived... Beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring Medi. I gave him Isaac, and I gave to Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea to come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did to Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land. I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose, 
and fought against Israel. And he sent, and he invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out, the two kings of the Ammonites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And this is awesome. I, I love this history and this retelling of the history of God's people because Joshua is telling them, or the Lord is telling them, the distinguishing factor of their lives and all that God has done for them is this, is that he is the one who has initiated it all. By his sovereign power, he has done this work for his children, the children of Israel. This wasn't their doing. None of it. It didn't have to do with their wonderful character and how lovely their hearts were and how pure they were. It was about the Lord and what God did for his name and for his people and for their good. It wasn't their character. It wasn't who they were. It was the sovereign work of God by his grace to the descendants of Abraham. And the Lord says this. He's like, I took you. I gave you. I sent. I brought. I did. I destroyed. I delivered. I would not listen to those who tried to curse you. I blessed you and I brought you into this land. Nothing they did to merit God's goodness had anything to do with this story. In fact, Joshua says what the Lord says, not even Abraham. Like, let's talk of the father of all of your people, not even Abraham. It was not his goodness that merited any of this. In fact, all those years back, Abraham was living on the other side of the Euphrates, and you know what he was doing? He was worshiping other gods when I called him. And I called him from worshiping those gods, and I brought him, and I did this. And it's significant. This is really important to what Joshua, what the Lord is saying to the children of Israel. It sets the tone for the entire chapter as God calls his people, as Joshua calls his people to serve the Lord. He says this, the Lord called Abraham out of idolatry. And you know, God is calling us, church, out of a life of idolatry. To serve the Lord and to serve him only. Not the idols the nations worship. Not the gods that they serve. Not the values that they have. Not the things that they bow down to. We're to serve the Lord and him alone, King Jesus. And God led Abraham, calling him out of this life of idolatry, he led him to the land of Canaan. He blessed him. He captured the heart of his son Isaac. Isaac himself, a gift from God. And God captured the heart of Isaac and God gave to Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. And Esau, God didn't bless. He gave him a land, but he didn't bless him in the same way that he blessed Jacob. God chose Jacob and he gave the land to Jacob and he captured the heart of Jacob. And it was the Lord who delivered Israel from Egypt. 
It was the Lord who brought them out of a life of slavery in Egypt. It was the Lord who brought them out from under the whip of the taskmaster. He brought them through the wilderness. He protected them. He gave those who attacked them into their hands. He blessed them. It was the Lord, his work on behalf of his people. And Joshua says, and when, when you came to the land of the Jordan, you, you came across the Jordan, God drove out those seven nations that were here and inhabiting the land before you. And the Lord established you in the land of promise. It's him. It's all him. And so this is Israel's history. God in his mercy, God in his steadfast love, God in his sovereign power and his faithfulness, he worked on behalf of his people for his glory and for their good. And I love this, church, because this is our story. This is my story. This is your story. God's power at work in our lives and his goodness to reveal his son Jesus to us. Wasn't because, you know, you're so wonderful. I think you're wonderful, but you're not that wonderful, okay? Not because I'm so wonderful. It's because God laid his hand on us and he chose us in his goodness and his grace. And Jesus said this to his disciples. He said this, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you. And you know what's interesting? It's kind of fun to sit around and debate theology and talk about God's sovereignty and man's free will and to wrestle through all of these things. And you might land on one side or the other in those camps. But no matter where you land, you have to admit this. Like when, when you really get down to it all, it's always God who initiated pursuing us, never us first. We love because we were first loved. You did not choose me, I chose you, Jesus said. And so Joshua, as he begins to give this speech to the children of Israel, he he says this to them, God chose you, he delivered you, the Lord guided you, God gave you the land of Canaan. And Joshua, or the Lord here, I would say, the Lord wanted the people of Israel to know that the work he had done in their lives actually was all of him, but then this, it required a response from his people. It required a response. And this is where Joshua calls the nation to serve the Lord as he prepares them for when they are no longer under his leadership. And Joshua clearly defines what it means to serve the Lord so that there would be no no mistake about this. Serving God consisted of two things he's going to tell them. It's going to come up on the screen right here. Two things. You give to God what is due him and you reject all of the false gods of the nations around you. So let's check it out. Verse 14, he goes on. He says, now therefore, so here's the action step. Here's the response to all of God's faithfulness to you. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil... In your eyes to serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fa- whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, this famous verse, I love this verse. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. As you choose this day. As for me, this is what I'm going to do. 
But here's the action step he calls them to, the therefore, the proper response to God's faithfulness, he says, is two things. First one, he says, give to God what is due him. To give to God what is due him is to fear him, he says, and to serve him with sincerity and in truth. To fear the Lord, like if we talk about fearing God, it means to live a life in reverent awe of who he is. In reverent awe, not afraid, not afraid of him, but in awe of him. The fear of awe with a heart that trembles and says, God, I don't want to displease you. I want my life to be for your glory. I, I want to do everything I do in awe of you, in my work, in my relationships, in my marriage, in my thinking, in the meditations of my heart, when no one's looking, with my money, with everything. God, I want to live in awe of you. I want to live in fear of you. I want to serve you and obey you and worship you only. And Joshua says to them, you have to serve the Lord with sincerity, Israel. Which means this, wholeheartedly. It means to fix your heart. To be sincere in serving the Lord means you fix your heart on the Lord. And he says to them, serve him in truth. Which means this, it actually implies faithfulness, continuance. This isn't something you just do on Sunday morning at 9, 9.30. This is something that happens all the time. You faithfully serve him from when you're young to when you're old, from when you meet him till the day he takes you home. You serve him faithfully. But he also said this, and you have to reject the false gods of the nations around you. You cannot serve the Lord and other gods. So Joshua called them to put away the gods that their fathers had served and the gods of the nations around them. These were gods that were everywhere around them. You know, it's so fascinating to just think about this, right? About idolatry and about false gods, little G gods. And the things that the nation serve, the, the gods that people serve, you know, human beings are made to worship. That's what we exist for, to serve, to serve. Jesus, when he, when he left his glory in heaven and came to the earth, it says that he took on human flesh, took, taking the very form of a servant. Because human beings are designed to serve. They're designed to serve God. To worship the Lord and to worship Him only. But sin has corrupted that image of God that's planted in us. But human beings will always serve. They will serve a God. They will find a God to serve and they will worship Him or worship it, false or not. And the Canaanites had all sorts of gods they worshiped. And the point of Joshua is simple. He's saying this, you can't serve other gods and serve the Lord. He has to have all of your heart. All of your heart. Then Joshua told them this, that he was not asking them to do something that he himself was not willing to do. He said, the very things I am asking you to do, I'm going to do myself. This isn't, you know, double speak where it's like, I require this of you and not of myself. No, Joshua said, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. I am willing to do this myself. I will lead my family in this direction. You know, Joshua, I think about him as a leader, as a man, as a husband, 
as a father, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to pick on the men a little bit today. <laughs> How'd you in my sights? The Holy Spirit did. You know, we had a really good week of prayer. I, like, honestly, awesome. But I would tell you if there was one factor as I looked around during the week of prayer, do you know what it was? The men. You know, and I... And, and compared to most churches, compared to most churches, our men respond very well. A lot of churches, that's not the case. But I thought in particular this week, more than other weeks of prayer, I thought the men are missing. The men are missing. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I'm going to come back around to this, okay? What I'm going to do this morning is this. We're going to go through this text and then we're going to spend a little bit more time on the application on the back end of it once we get through. So we're going to come back to this thought. But he said this, we will serve the Lord. So as he call, gives this instruction, give God his due. Don't serve the idol gods of other nations. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The people respond to him. Here's what they say in verse 16. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God." Now, this is like, I like read this, I'm like, this is good, man. This is the kind of response every spiritual leader wants to hear and see from God's people. It's like, we're going to serve God too. And, you know, it almost seems like as you read it that the people were shocked that Joshua would say, you know, make a choice, choose this day. And, and they were shocked that he would even suggest the possibility that they would turn from the Lord and serve other gods. Says, Far be it from us, Joshua, that we would forsake the Lord and serve other gods. So it's a pretty awesome response, but Joshua's answer to them is even more interesting to me. They, they had agreed, but something in their response, I don't know what it is actually, but something in their response had the tone of being superficial. Of, a, of being a surface confession. So he challenged their response. It's pretty straight up. We're going to read it here. No playing games. Joshua says, look at I don't want spiritual platitudes. <laughs> Enough cliches, you guys. Let's, let's read what he says here. Verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, he will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. I'm like, whoa, Joshua, this is a pretty serious response to people who just said, we will serve the Lord. And it's really interesting to me that, that Joshua did not coddle them. He did not pamper them. He didn't, you know baby their confession. He said this, let's not play games here. You know, church, sometimes we need to hear this, right, from the Lord. Hey, enough games. Enough games. 
Enough with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Enough with straddling the two sides of the fence. Enough with lukewarm living. Serve God and serve Him only. And Joshua says, if you're going to serve the Lord, then serve Him. And if you're not, then don't. And let's not pretend. You know, I had a youth pastor in my life who I, I totally love wonderful guy that was here on the Sunshine Coast, and he used to tell us this at youth group all the time. Do you remember Greg? Greg and I were in youth group together. He would say this, don't play games. Be hot or be cold. But don't come here and pretend. I'd rather you were just cold. If you're cold, then be honest and be cold. And if you're hot, then be hot. Go all the way. But don't live a life in the middle. Don't play games. And Joshua said this. He called it. And the reason why he did it was because Joshua knew the Lord. Joshua was a man who knew the Lord. We've talked about this. He was young. He served the Lord. He was old. He served the Lord. He was a a soldier. But he was a man who knew the presence of God. He had been in the presence of God. He was the leader of Israel, but he was a man who spent time on his face before God. And Joshua knew the Lord. He knew the voice of God. And he knew that God is not to be played with like a toy. He's not like other gods that have been fashioned out of wood or stone. You know, I was thinking a few years back there, we went to, uh, got to do a missions trip, pastor's conference in India and Delhi. And I've had the opportunity to travel different spots over the years. And India was really unique and while we were there, it was unique because idols there and gods that are fashioned by human hands are in front of your face everywhere you go. You know, I've been to Muslim countries. That's not the case. They don't, you know, no idols, no fashioning, making images of God. But in, in India, the opposite is true. We know this. In Hinduism, millions of God, millions of gods. And so we were, we were in a car. We hired a car to go somewhere and uh, I was with a pastor friend who has been there before, and we're sitting in the car, and in the car, uh, the driver had this little idol sitting on the dash of the car. And so my, my buddy says, hey, what's that? And the driver says, that's my God. And he said, oh, what's, what's your God's name? Tell me about your God. So the man proceeded to tell us a little bit about his God. And then uh, we said, does your God love you? And he had an answer for us. I, I forget what it was. And, and then we got to proceed to tell him about Jesus. Have you ever heard of the God named Jesus? He said, no, I never have. And then we shared with him, proceeded to tell him about Jesus. And, and I think back to that story because I remember that, that little idol God. I mean, you could take it and it would fit in the pocket of my shirt right here. I mean, I don't, I don't know how that man operated. If that was what he did in the evening when he was done driving, if he would take his idol and the God that he served and bring it back to his home. But, you know, that man served that thing and he worshiped it and the demonic spirit that was behind it. And we said to him, The name of my God is Jesus. Have you heard of Jesus? We told him about this. Joshua says to these people, you have to put your idols away. And he says this about God. He says, the Lord God is holy and the Lord God is jealous. 
He's a jealous God. He is jealous for the hearts of his people. He is holy. He is not like the gods of the other nations. And Joshua, as he says this and challenges these people, look at God. God is holy and God is jealous. He's saying this, that you have to be sincere in your commitment to serve the Lord. Because if you're not sincere in your commitment, God will know. He's God. He knows the hearts of men and women. He'll detect it. He'll know, and he will judge it. And so Joshua is telling these people, look at you can't toy with the Lord. But the people insist. They say, we will serve the God. Amen. That's awesome. Let's read verse 21. They say this. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and he put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth tree, the terebinth that was beyond, sorry, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he has spoken to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. So it's interesting, you know, we've been seeing these memorials. And Joshua, it's kind of unique. They're building memorials all the time to remind the people of what God's done for them. And this is actually the ninth stone memorial. Remember, we started with the very first one that was in the middle of the river at Gilgal. I was thinking, you know, there's a, there's a stone memorial in the New Testament too. It's one that was rolled away. To say Jesus is alive. It witnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. A tenth stone memorial. So here's these people. They insist that they would serve the Lord. And Joshua makes a covenant with them. He records it all. They set up this stone witness. And the next thing we read is this. Is that Joshua died. And it's significant actually this chapter that's about calling people to serve God. It actually tells us that Joshua, a title that he's given is the servant of the Lord. Of course, we have a New Testament Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, who is the servant of the Lord. But check it out, verse 29. We'll go, kind of go through almost to the end here, and then we'll just grab some application out of this this morning. So it says this, verse 29. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. You know what I love about Joshua here is that he's a man who's true to his word. He didn't just talk about serving the Lord. Joshua did serve God sincerely. He practiced what he preached. He was good to his word. 
And it's amazing as we read here, this man who was a servant of the Lord, the effect of his leadership. Because of his leadership, we read that all of Israel served God during his days. In fact, the men, the elders over whom he held, held sway and who outlived him, all of the, Israel served the Lord all the years of those men as well because of the effect of Joshua's life and ministry. And so this book closes telling us about Joshua's death and then it just ties up a few loose ends in the history of God's people that demonstrates his faithfulness to them. Let's, let's read through here to the end here. It says this. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem. In the piece of land that Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money, it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Yeah, when Israel left Egypt, Joseph gave this instruction. I want you to take my bones and I want you to take them to the land of promise and bury them there. Bury them in the burial plot of my father, Jacob. Because my father purchased that land at Shechem from the people of Canaan. And so this is a request that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, actually. And as the book closes here, it's, it's closing a certain loop to the story here. It's, it's an important thing that this was the very land God had promised to Abraham many years ago, by hundreds in fact. And God's promise to his people was proven to be true. And you know, it's easy as we read this to look back with hindsight, it's 2020, and see how God worked these things out. But so often, I think this, when we're in the midst of the journey, we're like, God, what are you doing? What is going on? Ah! How is this going to unfold? How are you going to fulfill your promises? Many times that was the hearts of God's people, but now God is like, with Joseph being buried, this is, this is hindsight coming into perspective. God's been so faithful. Everything he promised, he did. We don't need to lose sight of what he's doing. The book tells us that Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the high priest, was laid to rest in the land. A good end for a man who had faithfully served God. And you, you, you think about these people, and, it, and it's amazing. Their bones are buried in the land of Israel, and they're awaiting something. Awaiting the coming of the greater Joseph. The one who would go ahead of his people to save him, just like Joseph went ahead to Egypt and saved Israel. Those bones are awaiting the greater Joshua. The one who truly is the servant of the Lord, the great high priest. They're awaiting the one who is greater than Aaron, the high priest, the great high priest, King Jesus. The Lord Jesus, those bones are waiting, the Lord Jesus who himself will save his people from death and save them from eternal destruction and will save them from sin because he has offered his life as a sacrifice for sins. And so as this book closes, Joshua says, look it, living for God consists of two things. Give to God what is due him, and secondly, 
reject all the false gods of the nations around you. And so just as we think about this, I want to draw some application points, okay? Five application points. First one is this. God still deserves service. Nothing's changed here in these mathematics, these requirements of the Lord. Jesus has done so much to save us. These people that we read about, they lived on one side of the cross, looking forward to the cross. We live on the other side of the cross. We look back 2,000 years and we thank Jesus for what he's done and what he's done to save us. And just like Israel, we are called to serve the Lord. Just like those people, we are called out from a life of idolatry. We have been set free from a life of serving sin. We have been set free from the threat of death hanging over us to serve Jesus. And the Lord has been gracious to you. He's been so gracious to each one of us, gracious to our church. And, and he has brought us into his kingdom, the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of Jesus. And his work in our lives, everything that he has initiated towards us requires a response, church. That we live our lives in service to him. So God still deserves service. But the second thing is this. Idols are still a threat. Idols always pose to be a threat. Sometimes they're easy to identify, like when you go to places like India. Other times, not so much. You know, I think about our culture. In our culture, we're a little less inclined to bow down to the little idols of wood or stone. But that doesn't mean that idols don't exist within our culture. Because an idol is simply this. An idol is anything that competes for the attention of Jesus in our lives. It could be a relationship. It could be money. It could be possessions. It could be status. It could be our own bodies. Might I even suggest our safety could be an idol in our lives. And the call of Joshua is this. Don't be half-hearted in your service to God because the Lord will sniff it out and it's insulting to him. He's a jealous God. And idolatry, therefore, has to be repented of. It has to be turned away from you. You have to turn your life away constantly from idolatry. I mean, we look at Israel. Here they are. They're influenced by the gods of Egypt. They were influenced by the gods of Abraham's past. They were influenced by the idols of the peoples around them in the land of Canaan. And it required this. They had to constantly search their hearts and root out the idols that were there. They had to search their hearts and root them out and live as God's covenant people. And in our lives, we should do this, followers of Jesus. We should challenge anything that takes our affections from Jesus. You come near my Jesus, you're in trouble. That should be the attitude of our heart. That should be the attitude of our heart. And like Joshua challenged their half-heartedness in the New Testament, we read Jesus did the same thing. He said, be hot or be cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And so we need to seek and destroy the idols of our hearts. It's the Lord of these gods. 
can't have both. And the first instruction Joshua gave to Israel in their service of the Lord was this. He said, fear him. Now this is important because what you fear reveals what you worship. I've told you this many times, but, it, but it's important. It's a principle that really matters. It's, it's interesting that he says, fear the Lord. Because fear sets you up to worship. Stand in awe. Stand in awe of him. And the fears of your heart will always reveal what you worship. Let me ask you, what do you fear? The answer we want to come with is the Lord. I fear God and nothing else. That's the answer we want to be of our hearts, but the fears of your heart will reveal what you worship. And if you are wondering what idols are competing with Jesus in your life, if you are wondering what idols are competing for your heart, then all you have to do is this, follow your fears. Follow your fears to your idols, and when you figure out what it is, the right response is this, you repent. God, forgive me of that. Jesus, I'm sorry I set this up. My money that I'm worshiping, this relationship, my safety, my future, my, you alone, Lord. Follow your fears to your idols, repent. Joshua says, fear God and nothing else. Man, don't you want to live like that? Wouldn't you love to live with just fearing God and nothing else? Nothing else! Boy, we'd be maniacs for Jesus, wouldn't we? But fear holds us back. Third thing, third application for us. Families still require leadership. And this is, again, where I, I want to speak specifically to the dudes in the room. You know, fathers, husbands. We have a responsibility of providing spiritual leadership to our homes. It's a scary thing. <laughs> I, I speak that trembling myself. <laughs> and so it means this, men. Firstly, men. As the men of our homes, as husbands, as fathers, we want to make sure that we ourselves fear and serve the Lord. We want to make sure that we're men who are committed to the Word of God. We want to make sure that we're men who know the presence of God, who spend time in prayer. We want to make sure that we're men who believe in the value of fellowship and, and in the value of sharing Jesus with others. And it's easy to look at your life. I look at my life, I go, man, I'm not sufficient for that. It's easy for any man in the room to think that and say, I am not sufficient for that. Like my wife is so far ahead of me in this department. But I want to tell you this this morning, guys, I just want to challenge you. Your sense of insufficiency does not absolve your responsibility before the Lord. What matters is what you do with that sense of insufficiency. And so let me encourage you, press into Jesus. Just go to him with your insufficiency. I'm not enough, Lord. I'm not enough for this. You got to work in my life. You got to help me lead my family. And, and so our homes, our families, our families and our homes are mission fields and they're battlefields for the kingdom of God. The world, the flesh, the devil, they are competing for the affections and the hearts of our families. 
Those things are competing for the affection of our children, for their worship. The false gods and idols of this world are seeking out our families. And our homes need godly men specifically who will fight back. And it's a battle. It's a battle. You know this every day. It's a battlefield. But it's also a mission field, you know, because it's so awesome. You don't have to pack up and move around the world to get involved in missions, man. You just go home today. Just go home today. And so Joshua says this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, here's the fourth one, fourth application for us. Serving God still requires determination. Joshua never said this, you know, as for me and my house, we're going to try to serve the Lord. (laughs) He said, no, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm determined, Joshua is saying, to see it happen. I've resolved in my heart. I have made up my mind. I am deliberate and decisive, and I am committed to the decision that I'm making. I choose this day. My house will serve the Lord. I read this. This is a good line, so I'm going to give it to you. It's not mine. Definitely not. Determination, not desire, is the key to spiritual achievement. Determination, not desire, is the key to spiritual achievement. Man, I got lots of good godly desires. My problem is often determination is missing to just follow through. Determination is the key. Very last point, okay, fifth point, application. You know, Joshua died, but our Joshua, our Yeshua, our Jesus, he still lives. He's seated at the Father's side. Jesus is alive and well. He has defeated sin and death. He's risen from the dead. Jesus is ascended into heaven. And you know what else? He's coming again. Jesus is coming. And Joshua, you know, he, he served the Lord. And as long as he lived, the people of Israel served the Lord. And, you know, that's kind of disappointing because you're like, wow, they were in trouble the second Joshua was gone. But here's the thing. Your Joshua lives. He is not dead. And because he lives, because Jesus is living, the New Testament tells us all of these things we can do in Christ. Nothing is impossible for us because Jesus lives. Our Joshua did not die. So in our generation... And in our lives and in our church, we don't have to fail in these areas. We just follow our Joshua. And so church, God's work requires a response. The way he's initiated towards you and his goodness and his grace and his love towards you requires that you respond. You must choose whom will you serve. You have to choose. Whom will you serve? And if it's the Lord, then you do it sincerely and in truth. You serve Him. And if it's the Lord, then you root the idols out of your life. Get them out. Get them out. 